If you would, take your Bibles and turn to uh, Numbers chapter 32. Numbers chapter 32. I don't know how the uh, personalities match in the place you go to goes for me. Uh, I stick out big time. I remember the first funeral that I did in South Africa. Um, I just finished language school, still struggled in the Kosa language uh, big time. And uh, somebody passed away, and uh, a relative actually uh, of the church uh, passed away. A young man got killed over a, about that much liquor and, and a cigarette. They found his body, uh, I don't know, a week later or so. His face actually in the funeral, they did open casket and his face was already decomposing. Uh, but they wanted me to do the funeral and I had never done a funeral before and much less done a funeral in Kosa. And so I had to fake it that day. But I had some guys that I've been working with, they were like, I, I felt like they were going to be there with me. We we're going to do this together as a team. They are both pastors today, Sipo and Lubabalo. And uh, we showed up that day. There were probably 300 people in the streets. I mean, they do it at their houses. A funeral is a big deal because they worship their ancestors. And so when, when someone dies in the family, that's an ancestor. That's your connection to God, blessings, prosperity, help, all those things. So they show up for that. They show respect for, for those sorts of things. So... I showed up, I didn't know what to expect, but man, it, I mean, there was buses full of people, the, the streets are about, they're not even as wide as this, these pews right here, and people are just packed down through there, and I stuck out like a sore thumb, and I'm supposed to be knowing what I'm doing, and uh, so I'm looking at Sipo and Lubabalo, and I remember Sipo, that there was just a, a wall of people, and I looked at him like, like a little puppy dog looking for help. And I saw the people kind of open up and Sipo kind of moved back behind them and they closed up and, and there went my help. And so I'm still bitter at him over that, but uh, preached the gospel that day to a lot of people that needed to hear the gospel. Numbers chapter number 32, as we continue to think about faith promise and what you're going to give this year to faith promise, it's not about money, it's about your heart. If your heart's right, then you'll give the right amount of money to Faith Promise Missions. That's a byproduct of just having your heart right with God and understanding that the only reason we exist, the only reason we're left on this planet is to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's it. That's it. Jesus ascended back into heaven before he did that. He said, take my gospel to the, every creature, to the ends of the earth, and I'm coming again. And so he expects us to get that job done, to get, it, to get the gospel to everyone. Revelations 4.11 tells us that we were created by him, and for his pleasure. That sums it up, doesn't it? You're created by God, and you're created for God's pleasure. That doesn't, that's not your pleasure, that's his pleasure. What, what brings pleasure to God? And we don't have to guess about that. We know what brings pleasure to God. My children don't have to guess about what brings pleasure to me. Uh, they know what I want done. They know the rules of the house and that sort of thing. They don't have to guess about those things. Um, and we as Christians, we know what makes God happy us obeying him and obedience number one first and foremost to that great command that makes an eternal difference getting the gospel to people that have never heard a world without Christ over almost eight billion people that numbers it's almost unfathomable eight billion people on this planet and probably less than a billion far less than a billion probably that are actually Christians and so there's a great work to be done there's a great purpose for your life if, if, you, if, you're, if you're still able and, and you, your whole life's ahead of you, God can use you 
to be a light somewhere on that map back there. It maybe sounds scary, but it's, it's going to be the best thing that you could possibly do with your life. There's no, no sense, I forget who said it, but you know, people spend their whole life climbing a ladder of success only to find out that their ladder was leaned up against the wrong building. Uh, and, and, you know, if, if, God, if God's tugging at your heart for, for missions, if you hear that command to go, and there's nothing stopping you from going, then you need to head in that direction to go and take the gospel to someone. Numbers chapter 32, look with me in verse number 1. It says, Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle. And when they saw the land of Jazer, the land of Gilead, that behold, the place was a place for cattle. The children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and to Eleazar the priest and unto the princes of the congregation, saying, Adaroth and Dibon and Jazer and Nimrod and Heshbon and Eliath and Shaban and Nabo and beyond, even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle, and thy servants have cattle. Wherefore, said they, if we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession, and bring us not over Jordan. And Moses said unto the children of Gad and the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall you sit here? And wherefore discourage you the heart of the children of Israel from going over in the land which the Lord hath given them? Thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up under the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should go into the land which the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled the same time, and he swore, saying, Surely none of the men that came up out of Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land which I swear unto Abram and unto Isaac and unto Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, save Caleb, the son of Jephthah, the Canaanite, and Joshua, the son of Nun. For they have wholly followed the Lord. And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. And behold, ye are risen up in your father's stead, an increase of sinful men to augment yet the fierce anger of the Lord toward Israel. For if ye turn away from after him, he will yet again lead them in the wilderness." And ye shall destroy all this people. And they came near unto him and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our cattle and city for our little ones, cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will go ready, armed before the children of Israel until we have brought them unto their place. And our little ones shall dwell in the fenced cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return unto our houses until the children of Israel have inherited every man his inheritance." For we will not inherit with them on yonder side Jordan or forward, because our inheritance is fallen to us on this side of Jordan eastward. And Moses said unto them, If you will do this thing, if you will go armed before the Lord to war, and will go all of you armed over Jordan before the Lord, until he hath driven out his enemies from before him, and the land be subdued before the Lord, then afterward ye shall return and be guiltless before the Lord and before Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you for this church and all those that are here this evening. God, I pray in the most gracious manner that you'd speak through me this evening uh, from this passage, Lord, about our sin finding us out. 
I pray that you'd convict our hearts. God, help us to live in light of eternity. Help us to live on the edge of eternity. God, help us to have a reality of what is the most important things in this life. And God, to live accordingly. God, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This evening, I want to preach a message entitled, Your Sin Will Find You Out. Be sure your sin will find you out. What a, what a solemn warning for God's people. This passage is commonly taken to only apply to sinners. But in its immediate context, it has to do with the failure of God's people to bring others into the land of promise. The sin and consequence of omitting known duty. And that's what we're talking about this evening when we think about the Great Commission. We have a known duty. And if we neglect or refuse to do or just disobey, disobey that known duty, be sure your sin will find you out. Reuben and Gad had found their salvation and security and thought, this is where we will stop. This is where we will build a life. This is where we will live happily ever after. They had a lot of plans for their life and the land that God had given them. One small, gigantic, huge, enormous, serious problem laid in front of them, and that was that their brothers had not gotten their land and had many wars yet to fight. Could they sit at home and live a normal life while the battle was raging next door? By the way, the world is next door to us this day and time. You can get on an airplane and within hours be to the furthest edge of the earth, be to the furthest part of this world. We live with the world next door to us today. Could they live there in peace and in victory, farming and ignoring their brothers were still at war, making God's great, great name great in all the earth? Numbers 14.21 said this, But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. That was their purpose. You see, God chose Israel not because they were some special nation, but because he would make a special nation out of them so that the rest of the world would know that there is a God and it is the God of Israel. They had that choice. They could sit there and they could let their brothers go on and fight the war. They had a choice to make. But remember, he that keeps his life loses it. He that loses his life for Christ's sake gains it. God warns them. The choice, choice was stay, live it up, enjoy the farm, and lose everything in the end. But if you go and you'll fight, you will gain it all and return to enjoy it. It's your choice, but if you cho choose the former, just know your sin will find you out. See, there's a New Testament verse that says, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Friend, there's things, I don't want you to think that God is chasing you uh, many times in life, that he's got a chair holding it over your head, uh, that when you mess up, he's going to whack you over the head with it. No, there's built-in consequences many times for the things that we do. And in this particular situation, God tells them flat out that if you refuse to do what you are obligated and know to do, your sin will find you out. Know your sin will find you out. Knowing that, let's remember these truths. First is this. Remember who gave you what you have in the first place. Look there in verse number one. It says, now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle. Where did they get those cattle? From God. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that behold, the place was a place for cattle. You see, God earned, God had earned all of that. In Numbers 32, 4, it says, Even the country which, which the Lord smote, 
before the congregation of Israel. Who fought that battle? The Lord fought that battle. Who gave that victory over that land that, 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 that uh, Reuben and Gad are, are wanting to take and to, to live it up in? Who gave, them, who gave that land? Who won the victory for that land? It was the Lord. The Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle, and thy servants have cattle. They said, this is of the Lord. We have cattle, and this place is, that the Lord smote is good for cattle. It's of God. Isn't it strange how we can connect the dots so easily when it benefits us, but we cannot for the life of us when it means sacrifice and service. I hear people all the time talking about the blessings of God, and I'm like, really? Is that really a blessing of God? Like, this sounds really strange and bizarre stories about the blessings of, and the things that we call the blessings of God. But then when it comes to sacrifice and service, the, the, the verses and the, the truths are just blatantly clear. I mean, it's almost as if it's smacking us in the face and we're just kind of, we just look at it and we're like, I, I don't get it. I don't see it. I don't, I don't really see my obligation there. I don't, you know, if God ever strikes me with a lightning bolt, I'll get it and I'll, I'll do exactly what he wants me to do. You know, if God ever calls me, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go. Well, let me give you his phone number. It's Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. Go read it, and he'll tell you what he wants you to do. I'm not saying uh, this is that, but some of the things that Christians come up with many times to justify their disobedience or their lack of dedication, involvement, and sacrifice is ridiculous. You can get away with it now. You can deceive your fellow men. You can deceive other church people and yourself, but the, the story will be different before the Lord. God gave the victory. God gave the victory to the children of Israel. God gave the victory for that land that Reuben and Gad were wanting to live in. And God gave the victory for your salvation so that you could become rich through Jesus's poverty. Not so that you could live a life of ease and neglect your God, your God-given responsibility, but so that his name could be made, na- could be made great through you in other parts of the world. You deceiving yourself and the people around you with maybe a thin veneer of, of, of godliness or, or, or religiousness uh, is kind of like what, and you fooling them is kind of like what an older sibling does to their younger siblings. My oldest son used to say the most bizarre, ridiculous things to Hudson, and Hudson would drink it as if it was gospel. And I, he would come to me and he'd say, Dad, is this true? And I'd be like, no, and stop listening to your brother. And, you know, a lot of times the things that we, we deceive ourselves with and we, we talk to each other with to, to justify the way we live and our lack of concern and our lack of sacrifice and service to the Lord and involvement in the things of God, it, it fools our brothers and sisters. But our Heavenly Father's like, are you kidding me? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Be sure your sin will find you out. Remember who gave you what you have in the first place. Your salvation is of the Lord. Everything that you have is of God. In, in Psalm 50 verse 10, it says, For every beast of the forest is mine. It's God's. And the cattle upon a thousand hills. Psalms 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's. If that's not clear enough, and the fullness thereof. If that's not clear enough, the world and they that dwell therein. Everything on this planet is God's. Its air and its dirt is God's. He gives to you freely by his own sacrifice. He created the world in Genesis 1. He says it's good. 
it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. It gets down to man, it's, it's very good. Man messes it all up. And God, in his graciousness and his mercy, says, I'll fix it. I love the world so much. I love you so much. I will come and, 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 and make myself poor that you might be made rich. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 15 puts it this way. Paul said, the love of Christ constrains me. It arrests me because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live, those that are saved, that have been made alive by the, by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, believing that gospel, that they which live should not henceforth, post-salvation, after you've come into the family of God and receive freely of the grace of God, that you should not live henceforth under, you, under themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. I didn't really understand grace all that much. Everybody used to say it was unmerited favor. And I was like, yeah, unmerited favor. I was like, well, repeated that and acted like I knew what that meant for years. Until I went to South Africa, I'll just be honest with you, unmerited favor. I knew other ways of describing grace, but unmerited favor, I just never really got that. Then I went to South Africa and my kids go to school there. And the kids dress really weird. They wear a suit jacket up top and they wear shorts at the bottom. It's a really weird looking thing, but... And uh, they'll go to school, and if they're really good and they work hard and all these things, they get merit, ba merit badges. My kids never got them, but other kids get merit badges. And what that is, is they work hard. I'm just kidding. Kind of, not really. But they, uh, they get merit badges for, for working hard, for being good, for, for being diligent, making, you know, all these different things. They get merit badges. What that merit badge means is you earn something. But grace is unmerited. Christ loved you when you were unlovable. In that why we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. At your worst. God knew the past, present, and future of your life and all the dirty, wicked things that you've ever done, the worst of it. Not the way you paint it to other people, but he knew it at, it, at its ugly, evil core, and he still was willing to die for you, and he's willing, still willing to save whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. You receive freely of him. Remember who you got everything that you have from, first of all. Secondly, remember what is still going on. Look at verse number six. Look at verse number six. It says, and Moses said unto the children of Gad and the children of Reuben, shall your brethren go to war? And shall you sit here? Remember what you got everything that you have from God, from Jesus Christ, from his sacrifice. And then remember what is still going on around you. Shall your brethren go to war and shall you sit here? You got your inheritance, but others have not. Are you going to sit here while others are at war? You know, Jesus gave a command to go into all the world. That's the church's responsibility. That's your responsibility. When you hear those words, you should hear that Christ speaking to you. You can't get away from it. I believe when we stand before the Lord that, that those words are going to ring true. That he has told us, he has told us, he has told you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But yet many of us, while there's a war raging, and there's a war raging, almost 8 billion people in the world, but if you watch that, uh, there, there's, there's, there's a, an, an incredible amount of people that are dropping off into eternity, even as we sit here. We used to have that blinking sign that, that blinked eternity on it. And that was representation of of how often people are dropping off into eternity, most of which are going to hell. Many have never heard the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. There's a war raging for the souls of men. The devil knows he's lost, but he wants to take as many as he possibly can to hell with him. And God, Christ, our King, has set us up as fellow soldiers on this earth to take his gospel that can free any man from the, from the, from the bondage of Satan and sin and bring them into the family of God. We have that. But how many draft dodgers do we have? How do we look upon draft dodgers? Some of you men have served in the military. Some of you men have served in war. And some of you men even know some men that, that dodged war. We call them cowards. We call them traitors. We have no respect for those people. Yet in the commission God gave to the church, we have many draft dodgers, many who enjoy the comforts of freedom and salvation, who care little, if at all, if others receive that sal same salvation. William Carey said, multitudes of Christians sit at ease and give themselves no concern about the far greater part of their fellow sinners who to this day are lost in ignorance and idolatry. Charles Spurgeon was asked one time, one of his students asked him, he said, if the heathen never hear the gospel, will they still go to hell? And Spurgeon said something to the effect of, the question is, is can a Christian be saved and not care that the heathen are dying and going to hell and do nothing about it? That's the bigger question. Dare we whose souls are lighted with wisdom from on high, dare we to men benighted, that means in darkness, the lamp of life, deny? It was by Carey. Carey lost his wife and his child, a child attempting to get the gospel to the people of India. Will you... Maybe this is you, by your sitting and selfishness and sensuality, discourage others from going to war. Look at verse number seven. It says, and wherefore discourage you the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them? You see, Reuben and Gad were like, hey, this land is a great land. We have a lot of cattle. God's really blessed us. And this land is a great land for cattle. We have cattle. Uh, this is a great place for us to, to kind of just drive down our roots and live it. Make a life of this place. And Moses says, are, are you really going to sit here while your brethren go to war? And then he says, are you going to discourage them by sitting here when there's a war raging around you? You know, when you condone earthly, temporal, heavenless living, you're a stumbling block to other Christians. When you live as if the whole world is at peace with God, you discourage others from giving and going and sacrificing. When you say, I'm staying, others are going to feel justified in staying as well. Did you ever think about that? What example are you to other Christians? Are you encouraging obedience or disobedience? Remember, it was just 10 spies at Kadesh Barnea that discouraged an entire nation from accomplishing what God had commanded them to do. God has given us authority and commands us to take his gospel to faraway lands. But some at Kadesh Barnea discouraged the work of God. You know why they discouraged it? It basically came down to fear and a lack of faith. That's why they discouraged it. Fear and a lack of faith. Outright rebellion. 
And we're at risk of doing the same thing by our lack of involvement in the fight. You know, in, in South Africa, the townships are a big no-no. Uh, they're dangerous places. You don't go into them. Um, when I tell people where I work in South Africa, they're like, whoa. Uh, Corley's grandpa, he walked out of the room when we told him where we work. He was dumbfounded. He was offended. He, was, he couldn't believe it. When I, I went there, I didn't know anybody. In Port Elizabeth, I told you that this morning. And one of the, there was a missionary that was there, and he took me into the township, but I could tell he was not used to going into the township. We kept the windows up, the doors locked, and we, we smiled and waved as we quickly drove through, in and out of that place. I appreciated the ride. But you know, if I listened to other people, I would never went in there because of fear. It would have destroyed my faith. Don't say it can't be done. Don't say it shouldn't be done. Don't say it's too much, it's too far, or too big. Don't say it's too dangerous. The only ones God brought, listen to this, listen to this. The only ones that God brought into the promised land were who? The ones that the adults used as an excuse for not going into the promised land in the first place. The children. You know what that tells me? God's got this. Whatever God commands, whatever he challenges us to do, Whatever he, he tells us to do, that if we'll do it, that's the safest place to be because God has his hand upon us. Amen. William Carey, that same missionary, went on to say, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. Thirdly, remember what God did to disobedient people. Look at verse number 10. And the Lord's anger was kindled the same time, and he swears, saying, this is Moses kind of reflecting, reminding the Re Reuben and Gad of what God did 40 years prior. He says, And the Lord's anger was kindled the same time, and he swears, saying, Surely none of the men that came up out of Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land which I swear unto Abram, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. Save Caleb, the son of Jephthah, and Ken, the Kenzanite, and Joshua the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years, until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. Have you ever met someone that you didn't want to make mad? God is not one to lose it, so to speak. His anger is perfect. But God does have righteous anger. It's fully justified. It's exact. It's precise. It's prescriptive for just the right sin. You don't want to kindle God's anger by fear, by lack of faith, or by a rebellious spirit. Christians, don't believe, don't fool yourself into believing that God cannot get angry with you. He is your loving Heavenly Father. He is gracious and He is perfect and patient. But when you are disobedient, expect God, the Heavenly Father, to bring chastisement into your life. He is not a dad that has swallowed the 2020 cycle babble that says, oh, there must be an underlying problem here that stems from what your parents did to you. I'll okay this. No, that same God has 
multitudes, many verses, verse after verse after verse, that tells us as human beings to spank our own children. And it would be hypocritical for him not to do that to his. God expects obedience, and God will discipline his children for disobedience. It's still in love, but he will do it. God is the same God. Don't, it's not like God got right with God between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and that that God is not the same God. It's the same God. In Hebrews chapter 13, 8, it says, Jesus Christ, who is God, the same yesterday and today and forever. The God we read of here is the same God that we have and worship today. Only Joshua and Caleb, only Joshua and Caleb survived the judgment of God. The rest of the children of Israel wandered and wasted their lives in the wilderness for doubting and for discouraging the work of God. In Numbers 32, 12, it says, it says they have wholly followed the Lord, talking about Joshua and Caleb. And the rest of the people were utterly consumed. All of that generation died. Let me just remind you, friend, you're expendable. If we're not willing to do the work of God, God will find someone else to do it. God loves us. God wants to use our lives. That's what we were created for. But if we won't, we can waste away in the wilderness, and God will get glory out of someone else's life. In verse 15, he says, For if you turn away after, from after him, he will yet again leave them in the wilderness, and yet shall destroy all this people. Moses said, God will destroy this generation too. Forty more years of wandering is what he said. That's what he said. I'll do it. He'll do it again. Friend, if he'd do it then, he'll do it now. God will raise up another church that'll get his gospel to the ends of the earth. God will raise up another church. I'm not saying that the work of God will stop. I'm just saying the work of God will continue somewhere else. I'm not saying that, that that God will stop using people. I'm just saying God will stop using your life and he'll use someone else's life. Understand that your sin does not just affect you. Your disobedience, your discouragement, your lack of faith, your fear, it does not just affect you. You're you're willing to just be content while there's a war raging around you, not caring about the souls of other people. That does not just affect you. No man liveth or dieth unto himself. The Bible tells us this. What you do or choose not to do affects others around you. If Reuben and Gad had turned... uh, uh, what, what they did uh, would in turn affect the lives of all the other tribes of the children of Israel. Moses knew that this would cause others to disobey. They would be discouraged and they would disobey and God would in turn leave all of them in the wilderness. They would die in the wilderness. Mind you, these were God's light in the world. This was God's light in the world. They would all die in the wilderness and it would be Reuben and Gad's fault. That's what Moses told them. Your lukewarmness, our lukewarmness, our disobedience, our selfishness, our worldliness, our faithlessness, our fearfulness is not just affecting us. It will affect your family, it will affect the church, and it will have an effect upon the whole world. Concerning the one business of the church, someone said, it is evangelize or fossilize. Government leaders know that their whole financial power and life depend upon the amount of business done abroad. The motto, therefore, among many nations is export or die. The church should have the motto of export or die. Get the gospel to the ends of the earth 
or die. Lastly, remember you have to make a decision. And I'm finished. Remember you have to make a decision. Look at verse number 16. It says, and they came near unto him and said, we will build sheepfolds here for our cattle, cities for our little ones, but we ourselves will go ready, armed before the children of Israel until we have brought them unto their place. In verse 18, he says, we will not return unto our houses until the children of Israel have inherited every man his inheritance. So my question for you this evening, will you sit here while others go to war? Or will you go before them ready and armed? All of us, each last one of us are called to be Christian soldiers. Whether here or abroad, we should all have a wartime mentality. Some of you have lived through wars. I mean, the wars where it got really, really, really scary, where it was affecting your lifestyle here in the States, where you were worried about even how it was going to turn out. And you had a wartime mentality, or maybe your parents had that, and they experienced that wartime mentality. There was sacrifice. There was a seriousness and a sobriety about your life in those times. Well, friend, as a Christian, that war is raging at all times. We don't see it. But friend, it's there. There's a, the Bible says that the God of this world is Satan and all of his little cronies in this world. The world, the flesh, and the devil against God and the gospel. And there's a bottomless pit filled with souls that are being tormented day and night forever and ever. And more to be added. In church, we can do something about that. But we got to decide. we got to make a decision. And all of us will. You'll make a decision before you go out of this room tonight. No, I'm not. I'm not going to impress me into making a decision. You'll make a decision. It's kind of like I called, I called cable company when I came back last time. And I said, asked them what they were charging for cable TV. And she said this amount. And I said, is that the best you can do? She said, yeah. I said, well, I'm going to call around and find another place. She said, you'll call me back. I said, what? I'm not calling you back. Sure enough, I called her back. You're going to make a decision. Your decision may be to forget it. But you made a decision. You made it make a decision, hey, I think God might use my life as a missionary. I think, I think, unless God stops me, I think God wants to use me as a missionary. You may say, I've not been doing much in faith promise. I've been, if, 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 if I was standing before God, I'd be ashamed of what I gave to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. I've not been praying for missionaries. I've not been serving like I could even here to reach people around my area. I've been living as if everybody's at peace with God and that Jesus' sacrifice for reconciliation of men was not even necessary. And I'm going to change that tonight. But you will make a decision. Reuben and Gad made a decision. They said, we will, we will go ahead. We will arm ourselves. We will go over and we will fight with our brothers. And until every one of them have received their inheritance, we will not come back to our homes and live as if there is not a war raging. Will you be guiltless before the Lord? Look at verse 22. It says, and the, land should be, will be, and the land be subdued before the Lord. Then afterward, Moses said, ye shall return and be guiltless before the Lord and before Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. See, there was an accountability there. You couldn't just sit at home and your brothers go off to war and they're dying, they're sacrificing, blood's being shed, all this stuff, and you just sit at home watching TV, acting as if there's no war going on over there. 
Even though you don't see it, even though you don't hear about it, even though you, you, you really don't care about it, it's happening and you're sitting here ignoring it, you're accountable. You're not guiltless. Will you sin against the Lord? Look at verse number 23. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. And herein lies the most profound principle of missions. One man said, if we fail to go armed before the Lord to war, as Israel was bidden to go, until we win the lost of other nations and bring them into their inheritance and into their possessions of Christ, then the word of warning still applies. If you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Friend, what will it be for you this evening? But if you decide to stay, and just live it as if there is no eternity. There's no real reason for the salvation that Jesus provided. And people don't really die and go to hell. And the war rages around you while you ignore it. Be sure your sin will find you out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time this evening. I pray that you please speak to hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment of invitation, maybe you'd like to respond to this message. Because I'm going to tell you something, we're in a warfare. And it's raging in these last days. Time's running out. It's urgent that we get involved. It's urgent that we get serious about this Christian life and walk the walk and not just talk the talk. What a great message. Amen. Have me say, preacher, I know without a doubt, if I died today, I know I'd go to heaven because somebody brought the gospel to me. And I'm so thankful. Would you raise your hand as a happy testimony of that all over this auditorium? Nobody looking. I mean, glad you're saved. Say amen. Should never get over it. We're on the winning side. Praise God. We're going to heaven, and we can have the abundant life if we choose so. What a great blessing to be in his family. But also, what a great blessing to be chosen as his soldier. Several could not raise your hand, and you'd say, Preacher, tonight, I'm just not absolutely 100% sure, and you ought to be. You ought to be 100% sure that you're going to heaven because it'll be too late after death. There is no purgatory, that's a false doctrine. It's now that you need to decide. You say, preacher, I'm not absolutely 100% sure, but I'd like to be, and I want you to pray for me. Would you slip your hand up so we can do the most we could ever do for you? We wanna pray for you. Would you slip your hand up high if you're not saved? Don't let pride win out now. Let's be honest with God, anyone? Thank you for raising your hand. God bless you and God bless you. Anybody else? God saves honest people, by the way, that admit they're sinners. Admit that religion's not enough. It's a relationship you need with the Lord Jesus Christ. Two's raise their hand. How about you? Anybody else? You may put your hands down. That's great. Thank God for your listening. Anyone else? Christians are praying. If you've ever prayed, you ought to be praying now. You shouldn't be looking at the watch. You ought to be thinking about eternity. Anyone else? I see that hand, God bless you. Anyone else? Have me say, preacher, I'm a Christian and I wanna take this challenge strictly from the word of God that I need to be more involved. I went AWOL, I have deserted, I have turned my back and I have got lax and lax, lackadaisical in this warfare and just sort of trying to hold the fort when I need to take new ground, and I need to be a soul winner, I need to be a witness, and I need to surely pray and support missionaries 
that are going to these heathen lands that's never heard the gospel and support them with my prayer and my life and my giving. And I want to just rededicate my life to being a good soldier. Would you slip your hand up real high for prayer? i got to raise mine. What a message. God bless you. I see those hands. Amen. All over this place. Father, thank you for the message. May it speak to our hearts and our hearts speak to you. And God, may we take serious that two precious souls have raised their hand in this very sanctuary saying they're not sure, 100% sure they're saved. And they want to be sure. God, help them to come down and we'll have a counselor take the word of God and, and show them how they can know for sure, without a doubt, if they take their last breath this week, they'll be in heaven. And God, if they live 100 years, that they'll have a life that counts for eternity and counts for your glory and not waste their life on this little old world. God, thank you for entrusting us with life. And God, help us to be entrusted with the gospel, to be good stewards of the grace of God as we share it with others around the world. God bless these that's raised their hand and they want to rededicate their life of being that kind of Christian. Lord, please save these that's raised their hand that need to be saved tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.